You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Hearing the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 28. Matthew writes in his gospel in verses 1 through 10. Now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. This is God's word. You know, we're, we're jumping back into our series again today uh, called Freedom. And the whole series is about following Jesus, the rescuer, out of our bondage, out of our slavery, out of our Egypt, into the life that he has for us, into the promised life. And um, one of the ways that we've been doing this each week is we've been hearing a testimony. Um, I love the passage in Revelation where it says that, they overcame him, meaning the church overcame the enemy by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. This is one of the ways that God uses to set us free. And so before Pastor Bill comes and preaches us this Easter message, I want to invite John to come and share his testimony today with you. So many of you have talked to me, uh, as John comes, so many of you have talked to me the, the past couple of weeks about the most powerful part of these past several weeks has just been hearing your fellow brothers and sisters share about what Jesus has done to free them. Um, and, and we talked about over the past several weeks that God has set us free in Jesus Christ. That's our identity. He is setting us free. And we are confident that one day when he returns, he will set us free once and for all. Amen. Okay, let's hear John's testimony. Thank you, Pastor Dave. So this is my testimony. Um, This has been on my heart for over a year now. I have been thinking about this and waiting for the right timing. And God has timed this day perfectly for me to be up here to present this to you. I have two very difficult things I'm going to talk about here that have been in my life and have changed me and uh, have uh, really um, been a battle throughout my life. Now, preparing for this since they asked me to do this this past week has been very difficult. I've been under attack, trying to persuade me not to do this, just trying to distract me in every way possible, but here I am <laughs> about to present this to you. The two, two issues I'm about to talk to you about, um, they separate us from God. They destroy our relationships, they chain us down, and eventually will destroy us. Now, these things tie directly into the sermons that we've been talking about, the two testimonies that we've heard previously, Dr. Hitchcock's message. And the first issue 
has to do with sexual sin, most specifically pornography. Um, this is an addiction. It is very prevalent in the church and throughout this, this world, and especially in this country of ours. Um, you heard that Dr. Hitchcock mentioned that it's everywhere. It's in the internet. It's in every aspect of our life. When you scroll down on the bottom web page, it's there. Just every little, everywhere you look, it's in our life. It started very young for me. I was probably 12 years old when a friend stole a pornography video from his family, and we watched it. And it's been in my life in one aspect or another. And it's held me down, restricted me, and it's just been awful throughout my life. And I, I, I'm speaking to every man and woman here, um, but I'm going to target men just a little bit more on this because it seems to be more prevalent in men. Um, and it's, it's a lie. It's so deceitful, and it's a lie. And so when I came back to Jesus and this became so aware in my life, and Pastor Bill's sermon on it and his passion for it. And, and I was just overwhelmed that I needed to rid this from my life. And I remember after your sermon uh, saying, I, I need to do this. And my girlfriend heard me say this, and she had no idea. Um, and I revealed it to her. I told her, and I saw how devastating it was to her. And I just know how devastating it is to marriages destroys marriages it really does it's it's awful i mean i can't imagine your husband or wife knowing that you desire that more than you desire him or her and it happens all the time and so i decided to take action i repented i said i'm sorry but i said i need to take action and do something about it because it was more about just saying sorry god and so i reached out to the pastors i reached out to counselors started seeing them, and Pastor Dave and Pastor Bill had me watch a video series that they have available, and uh, I started watching that, and just the little fact that was revealed to me in there, which really shocked me, is the pastor that was talking about it said, if I look out in this congregation today, and I can't speak for Life Church, but there could be 50% of the men in this congregation could be looking at pornography. And that blew me away. It just shocked me. And so I knew I had to purge this from my life because I saw how it destroys relationships. And it was only that coming back to Jesus that I knew I could do this and that there was strength and he was going to help me through it. And I had the support of other people and community, these people, my girlfriend, everybody was surrounding me. And... I took action. I put the programs on my computer to purge it, my cell phone, not look at it. And I can stand here and tell you that the freedom and the peace that has come over me, reading that from my life has changed me, changed the aspect of how I view marriage and everything. And it just it has set me free. And I, I just want everybody to just realize that I might look like a big, strong guy. I smile a lot. But... I am, you know, this sin is very overwhelming and it can destroy you. And it broke me down, made, brought a lot of shame in my life. And, but I saw a way out. I saw the light and people guided me. And I'm here to tell you about that. And thankfully for the Lord, he has saved me from that.
Um, and the other second issue, which has been very hard for me, um, has to mainly do with depression and more specifically suicide. I have dealt with this. I have dealt with this quite a bit in my life. And, you know, I, about a couple years ago, I lost my job after 10 years of being on the job. And I went home that day just desperate, just didn't know what to do, felt horrible, didn't, felt so much shame in my life because here I am 10 years on a job, just I got nothing. I felt like I had nothing. And I sat down on that couch and I started writing the letter and I wrote the letter, picked up my pistol, had to make sure I had it around the table and I put that gun to my head. I had the finger on the trigger and I started pulling it. And something pulled me away and I only know, I know who it is. And, and I set it down. And a good friend of mine knew what happened. He intervened right away. He's like, John, you need to lean on God right now. You need to surround yourself with your brothers and sisters. And I got up off that couch, and I ran, ran away from that. And I went and visited with them and talked and surrounded myself. I've talked to the pastors about it. Um, Pastor Dave even took my pistol from me. <laughs> Yeah, and it sat in the safe, <laughs> unloaded. And, uh, uh, but he took that from me, and I eventually sold it, and he gave me the mechanisms to deal with it, how to reach out to people, how to talk to people about it, and not to be ashamed. It's, it's, I know it's prevalent. I know it's out there, and I know it's here probably today. But I can tell you that God had a plan for me. He has a plan for me. I know it. I feel it. And, sorry. <laughs> and, I, and I just picked up the Bible and started reading the scripture. I started reading it and reading it. And it just affected me. The more I read, the more I just it filled myself with God and surrounded myself with the people. And I know <clears throat> life isn't easy. And it's not going to be easy in the future. It's going to still be hard. But it's only by the grace of God and Jesus that I am here standing in front of you, letting myself down. I, I know that I'm weak, and I, I might look strong, but I'm, you know, <laughs> it's hard. And uh, so I asked myself, how could God possibly turn my misery into something good? And I'm here standing in front of you, hopefully often encouraging words to everybody here that, there is a way out. People love you. God loves you. These pastors love you. They want to be there for you. And so I know that I am saved. The peace has come over me. It will come over you if you fight through it. You've got to fight through it. But there is a better day. And I'm here standing here. And it's because of today, the resurrection, that I know that I am set free from this sin and the bondage. And so I, two verses, two passages have been on my heart for the past two weeks that have really, or the past week, that have really set into me. And the first one is from Romans 8, chapter 38 through 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height, nor death nor anything else in all creation 
will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the even more powerful one, and is even more relevant today, is 1 John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And here I am. I'm going to live out his plan for me. And that is my testimony. Thank you so much. Praise God. Amen. Awesome. Pastor Bill. Thank you, Pastor Dave. Thank you, John. Thank you to the others who, while I was away, you were sharing your story. Um, I wanted to be with you while I was away because I was hearing what God was doing here. And it was like, man, God is moving in life, church. And uh, God is allowing some of you to not only sort of come clean, but actually to share that work of God with others. And uh, that's what I found out even in Brazil while I was away from you, was that it's amazing what power there is in our story. And our story is only a small piece of the story, and that is the rescue story, the story of God's rescue of us, God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that is John's testimony, and that has been the testimony of others, Jared and Aubrey and others. And, and uh, I just want to encourage you, if you have something that you could share with us that in the coming weeks through this series that you would really pray and ask God, is there something that I need to share with my family, uh, not only for the sake of the family, but for the sake of your own freedom, uh, your own victory, that you're able to put it out there, so to speak, and, uh, and, and let us all gather around one another and fight for this freedom together. That's a powerful, powerful uh, work that uh, we do together is fighting for our freedom. It is Easter Sunday morning, and I am thrilled to be back and to be with you this morning. And I want to talk to you about the, the morning that changed everything. And uh, I so appreciate the passage I asked David to read for you today, uh, which I think is one of the most powerful passages in Scripture. I just, I just love it. But also in John chapter 20, verse 15, it says that Jesus spoke to the woman uh, who came to the, to the grave. And he said, woman, why are you weeping? Uh, whom are you seeking? Uh, and she was thinking that he was the gardener, and she said to him simply these words, Sir, uh, if you've carried him away, just, just tell me where you've laid him, and I'll take him away. Such a sense of, 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 of loyalty, such a sense of, of helplessness, such a sense of hopelessness and despair is going on there in the midst of all of that. There's so many emotions that you can pull out, extract out of this story of the resurrection of Jesus. But we're going to focus back on this passage uh, of, of Matthew. But there are, there are things about our lives where, yeah, there are tears that come. There are, there are painful moments. There are, 
there are upsets, there are disappointments, there are surprises, there are battles and challenges and struggles and all these things that go on in our lives. But I'm here today to tell you that Jesus has given you the power of the resurrection to give you the ability to be an overcomer in every single situation that you encounter. You know, there are certain days in the timeline of history and they have special significance for all of us. And, and at times, they affect a whole culture or a whole nation. Sometimes they just affect an individual. But I'm talking about days or times or experiences that, that literally change the lives of people, either for good or, or, or for bad. In my generation, I remember several things that affected me uh, dramatically from, from childhood growing up. Uh, one of those things was in 1963, it was the, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And I remember being an elementary school student, and I remember walking out of the school onto the playground and hearing my teacher and another teacher say that the President of the United States was just shot and killed. And I remember for the first time in my life being able to remember a feeling that I am not safe. I, I, something's not right. And I'm not safe. And I remember wanting to just leave. I wanted to go and be with my mom and, and with my dad because suddenly in this place where I had always been safe, I didn't feel safe anymore. And I, I remember where I was in, in um, 1969 when I watched the first uh, man walk on the moon on television. I was down in the swamps uh, in, in, in uh, North Florida uh, on, on the Savannah River. And uh, I, I was just in a little seedy, dark motel room with my family. And we had a little bitty TV screen and a box around it that was just huge. And we sat there and we were all just glued on this. And I remember my dad saying, this changes everything. And I'm like, what do you mean? You know, but, but for him, it was like, Everything he had known suddenly shifted, and suddenly this simple man from South Georgia was, was focused on technology and advancement and science and exploration and all these things. And for him, it was like, I'm in a different world. Suddenly something happened that, that literally shifted things around. More recently for a lot of us is September the 11th, just a few years ago when the terrorist attack hit New York City, and it forever changed us. I remember driving in my car and getting the phone call on my cell phone from a member of the church saying, Pastor Plains just hit uh, the World Trade Center. Uh, something terrible is happening. And, and I, I immediately came to the church and turned on the TV to see what was going on. And then we called a prayer meeting of, of a lot of churches here in the city together. Uh, and we met and we prayed that afternoon. And people cried and wept. And the, you could hear the anguish in people's hearts as they prayed and as they cried. For some of us, it's not so much moments like that that, that that have changed us or defined us, but for some of you, it may be more like moments when the first desktop computer became available and you bought your, your first computer when it came on the market and it was like, oh man, this is it right here. And, and when the World Wide Web was, was up and running, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, life is never going to be the same again. But for most of you sitting here, probably one of the most life-changing moments in recent history was the moment when you first held in your hand that precious smartphone. <laughs> and you've never been the same since. You are a slave to that phone. 
<laughs> it controls your life. But you can't remember what you did without it. You can't remember what life was before the smartphone. It, it touches the fabric of your life and the lives of others. It, it affects how you do business. It affects how you study. It affects the kind of relationships you have with other people. It affects the ability for you to enter into bondage, as John talked about, if you're not careful. It is a powerful little tool, and it has changed lives literally around the world. And looking back, all of these could qualify as life-changing moments, all right? But there's one day. There's one day that changed life more on earth like no other before or since. And it was that moment in time, that first Easter, when Jesus rose from the dead. He's alive. He's living today. He is not dead. He is not in the grave, but He lives and He is sitting at the right hand of the Father for you and I. And there is no other day like that. There will never be any other day like that. So let's kind of set the stage for that moment in time just a minute here. There's this question in this passage in John that I read to you, woman, why are you weeping? Why are you, why are you crying like this? And this was a personal question uh, for Mary from, from Christ, but I think it also has a, a really uh, good message for us to, to hear and to think about, and it's far deeper than what's on the surface, and I think you and I have to hear it that way. Certainly since Jesus was resurrected from the dead, yes, there have been an ocean of tears that have been cried. I've seen John weep over his sin. I've seen him wrestle with his sin. Others that have testified and given testimonies of their freedom in the last few weeks, I've sat with them. David has sat with them. We've sat with them together. Some of the others of you sitting here, I won't point at you or name you by any means, all right? But you and I have sat in the office and we've wept or we've sat in your home or we've sat in your car or my car or we've been somewhere where you've wept and you've cried and there has been an ocean of tears that have cried out by God's people since the resurrection and there will be more tears that will come. But what I'm telling you is because of this morning, all these tears will one day be wiped away for the last time. There is a hope that we have in us that pulls us up out of those tearful moments and extracts us into a place and sets us down where there is hope that we have in this resurrected Jesus. And so then we begin to live out of the truth of Scripture. We begin to live out of Revelation 21.4 where he says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be any kind of mourning, any kind of crying, any kind of pain for the former things have passed away. In other words, we're in a new day. There's, there has never been a day like that first morning. Because of the resurrection, we can see through our our tears, this future hope, and it carries us through the pain. It carries us through the battle fatigue of this life. Our hope is in this Christ who has overcome death. And so I want this morning to look at this just a little bit with you and let's, let's try to gain a platform from which we build our hope and we build our victory and we live out this life in Jesus Christ. So the first thing I would say to you this morning when I talk about a morning like no other ever is that on this first morning, 
there was a new kind of pain that happened. In Matthew chapter 28, that verse 6 that Pastor Dave read for you, it says, He is not here. You know, pain and suffering has been constant since Eden, since the fall. There's this kind of curse on, on humankind that, that is because of sin. And, and if you read the Old Testament, if you read ancient history, they all testify of the intense amount and intensity uh, of suffering that has happened throughout the ages. But for the disciples, the death of Christ must have been a most cruel kind of pain. You see, he had been their leader. <laughs> Never had a leader spoken like this man. Never had life's mysteries been revealed and explained like Jesus had done. He didn't speak with perhaps or, or maybe in his voice. He spoke with authority and with certainty. He was the one who knew and had the answers, and they loved him. They invested every part of themselves in him. Never had they been so sure of his authenticity and his lineage. This was God in the flesh, the maker and the sustainer of all of life. How could he die? How could he be gone? What is this pain that they are feeling inside of their very soul? See, not only had he been their leader, but he had been their friend. Yeah, he was their leader. But wonder of wonders, <laughs> this great God-man took a personal interest in every one of these disciples. He cared for them in a, a, a truly special way. Think of the hours that was spent with Jesus in discussion and in, in enlightenment with, with him as Messiah talking to them. He allowed them this very wonderful, special access to him, access as a friend. John 15, 13 talks about this. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. This is such a powerful relationship. And as much as we may sympathize with the disciples' loss here in, in, the, in this death of Jesus, uh, many of you, like me, we've lost loved ones. Uh, we've lost family members. We've lost friends. Um, even before this event, there was death. Uh, after this event, there is death. There is death now. We don't like this thing we call death, all right? And, and some of us have been affected greatly by, by death touching someone close to us. And it's very difficult to, to wrestle with it. It's very difficult to deal with it. Some of you don't like any aspect of it. You don't, you don't want to touch it. You, you resist it. You deny it, okay? And I understand that. But what makes this event so significant? Christ's death was the first death which resulted in life and in hope this death was a death that was followed by a resurrection. It was a one-of-a-kind event, and it was a prototype for all subsequent death. We live differently because of the death of Christ and his resurrection. 
We don't live outside of hope. We don't live outside of despair. We don't live outside of distrust. We don't live outside of confusion, no. But we live in the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And we hold on to that. There's never been a morning like this where the disciples who were in this darkest of despair, questioning what has happened, what has gone on. You see, this was indeed a morning of a, a, a new kind of pain for them that they had not known before, but there was this great love, all right, where somebody was laying down his life. And, and so we see Jesus, if we see Jesus as, as merely dying on the cross and being buried in a tomb, we don't have any hope. All right? There's no forgiveness for us. We can't look at that and stop there. It's in his resurrection that he gives us this assurance. Jesus has overcome death. All right? He's won this great victory for his people. It's, it's in this resurrection that all the difference is made and it puts us right with God. This truth is illustrated. Um, by an incident that I, in history, and I, I understand that it's really well known in England, maybe not so much in America, but let me rehearse it for you this morning to just kind of help you to understand what, what maybe was going on in those hours before the resurrection. It was after the Battle of Waterloo in June of 1815, all of England was waiting for news about the outcome of uh, the, 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 the campaign, the, the battle that was going on. It was the Duke of Wellington from, from uh, England, from, from the United Kingdom, and he was opposing uh, Napoleon Bonaparte uh, in the battle. And, uh, of course, this was long before telegraph, telephone, television, cell phones, all these kinds of things. Uh, so watchers would be stationed at various places along the coast, if you will, uh, there. And uh, they, they would read what is called uh, a semaphore. And what that is, is that's a, a, a communication method using flags, if you will, all right? And so the watcher on land would look to the, to, to the ship out on the ocean, and as it was coming in close enough, uh, the, 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 the flag waver would communicate with the man or the watcher or the woman who was the watcher on the land, and they would then convey that message to uh, the leaders, and it would go on into uh, the common people, all right? And, and so it, on this particular occasion, it was a very cloudy, very foggy day, but finally one of the watchers who was on the coast there spied a sailing vessel, and it was beginning to signal a message, if you will, and the message read this, Wellington defeated. And then the fog closed in again. And that message was relayed all across England, and the nation was gripped with so much discouragement, such a sense of defeat. There was such a sense of hopelessness that just prevailed, and it was just invasive throughout the whole of the nation. But a few hours later, however, the fog lifted, and then the entire message came through. Wellington defeated the enemy. Wellington defeated the enemy. We win. All of England begins to rejoice. We win. He, the enemy is defeated. We win. The discouragement was gone. The nation rejoiced in the good news. And, and in some ways, this is a, a perfect illustration of what the disciples might have felt. He's dead. What do we do? 
Where do we go? What now? We, we invested everything. We gave everything. We put everything in. And now he's dead. He's buried. He's, he's in a grave. No, he's alive. He is not here. All right? You go back and you will see him, but he is not here. He is not in this grave. Hope is renewed in you and I through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So regardless of what the enemy tells you, regardless of how he closes in on your life, regardless of how he cuts short the messages and the truths of God's word, you hold on to this truth. You live in the whole truth of God, and that is that we have a Jesus who is alive. He is resurrected from the dead. And he is alive for you. And this resurrection, it is what gives us this assurance that Jesus has overcome death and he has won this great victory for you and I as his people. And so let's hold on to this. Let's, let's live out of this truth, out of this reality, all right? I don't know, I don't know where you live today. I, I don't. I didn't know John's struggles and battles until he came to me and disclosed them to me. I don't know what you've carried. I don't know what, what pulls you down. I don't know what clouds you over. I don't know what, what causes you to not be able to clearly grab a hold of this truth of Jesus Christ. But I, I know this. I know that Jesus made a claim and in those moments of his death and his burial, maybe those claims seem to, to, to be empty. But Jesus made the claim that he was God. He said that he had come to seek and to save the lost in Luke 19. He said he, he, he came to give his life as a ransom for many in Mark 10. He said that he came so that his people might have life and have it to the full in John 10. He said that whosoever is thirsty, spiritually thirsty, could come to him and be refreshed in John 4. He said that whosoever would follow him would never walk in darkness but would have the light of life. He said that he had come to give eternal life to his people. He said this, and he was crucified, and he died, and it was a terrible day. And on that noonday, the sun suddenly disappeared, and everything became frighteningly dark, and there was this earthquake, and, and events took place that caused even the centurion soldier to declare, surely he was the Son of God. And then Jesus died, and his body was buried in the tomb of Joseph. And I believe probably the message that rang out from that moment was Jesus defeated, Jesus dead, Jesus done. And I suspect that these disciples were gripped with a huge amount of discouragement and even defeat. But I'm going to tell you something. It was three days later, but in three days, in three days, Jesus conquered death and hell. Jesus conquered Satan and sin. There's never been a morning like this. There is no more defeat. There is no more despair. There is no more hopelessness because this Jesus is alive. He is with us, all right? 
I don't know your pain. I don't know what you've carried. I don't know what you've been through. But I know we've got a Jesus that is not dead. We've got a Jesus that is not sleeping. We've got a Jesus that is not tired. We've got a Jesus that isn't surprised, ashamed, embarrassed, upset, mad about what you've done or where you've been or where you've coming from. We've got a Jesus who understands that this same resurrection power that brought him up out of the grave, he has prepared to bestow upon you and to fill you with his spirit and power so that you can come alive, you can be redeemed, you can be resurrected, and your life can be fulfilled and be victorious. That's where we live. That's what we hold on to as God's people. Second, it was a morning of a new kind of power. (laughs) The Jews had seen with their own eyes Jesus raised Lazarus and others from the dead, and he possessed a a power that had not been seen since the Old Testament prophets. But Jesus was far greater than any of these Old Testament prophets, for for none of them had ever had the power to to raise themselves from the dead, okay? But it it wasn't an old power. It was an eternal power, all right? It was a power over the devil, I know there's some people today who don't believe in the existence of a literal Satan. I understand that they don't, all right? Uh, There are people who only believe in like a spirit of evil and, and don't give it any supernatural ability at all. But I'm telling you something. A real and personal devil has done all in his power to destroy Christ, even before he reached the cross. And numerous times the Bible says that the crowd picked up stones to try and kill him. There were often times where where the enemy was inciting death uh, against the Lord, all right? And and in John 13, it states that, that Satan entered one man, and Jesus says to that one man, he says, that thing that you're doing, go and do it quickly. And he was speaking to Judas. And Satan, the Bible says, had entered into Judas with a mission to destroy the sacrifice of Christ. But I'm going to tell you what, all he did was quicken it. He just helped it along, all right? Truly, Christ defeated the intentions of Satan through his death and his resurrection. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. John, the devil tried to put a power over you to destroy you. He wanted to take your life. He wanted to convince you that suicide was more attractive than to live. He wanted to distort the reality of the value of your own life. But you did not succumb to that because there is a power greater than the power of the enemy. And that is the power that works through Jesus Christ and the truth of his word. That is the power that seeks to have life. And Jesus said, I came to give give you that life and to give it full and abundant. And so we live out of that resurrection power. 1 John chapter 3, verse 8 says, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Hear this. But the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. 
I don't know what work the enemy has had a chance to, to inflict upon your life. I don't know how the enemy has gotten in there. I don't know how he got a foothold. I don't know how he got through the entry point. I don't know what the devil has done to, to deceive you or to trick you or to snare you. I don't know where the devil's been in your life. I don't need to know that. What you need to know is that there is a Jesus who has come, who has been resurrected from the dead, who has the power and the authority over sin and death and hell and all of this, and he is resurrected, and that power is for you today so that you can live victorious in him, and you don't have to be in the chains of bondage. You can have reality with God. Break them off. Let them roll away. Be done with it. Live in the victory that is Jesus Christ and him alone. If you Google today and you look to see what are, the, what are the top religious leaders in history, you'll find that there have been religions that have been around for a long time, thousands of years, thousands upon thousands of years. Some of the oldest are ancestor worship, but there have been others that have been added throughout the centuries. I did this over the last couple of weeks and I began to look at some of these religions, some of these cults, some of these practices. And it's interesting that even in secular writers, there's, there's several people's names who keep coming up that are powerfully influential. And, and, and they say these are people that may have changed the world as much as science and technology did. These individuals may have changed the world that much. You see, death is the last enemy. Before the, the resurrection, death held uncertainties and fear, and it gripped us. But we live in a different world now because of an event that happened, and that was Jesus' resurrection. But there's all these other religions that are out there that, that claim to, to make comparisons, and, and, and they're, they're active today, and they're strong today, and they appear to be relevant in some people's lives today. Muhammad is one of those, the prophet of Islam. One of the world's greatest religions was started by a man who claimed to have a continual revelation from God, which he would recite from time to time to others. And these recitations were recorded in the Quran, the most sacred book of Islam. He was born in, in 570 A.D. In, in, in an Arabian city called Mecca. He purportedly became the messenger of God. And at the age of 40, he began to, to create this, this sort of like political military revolution, if you will, all right? He began to, to do uh, shrewd military campaigns, and, and he took cities, and he established this religion. But I'm going to tell you something. The day came when Muhammad died, period, and he did not resurrect from the dead. He is still dead today, but Jesus is alive. He may have affected nations. He may have changed culture. He may have done a lot of things, but he is still dead today. He is not alive. Jesus is alive. At the risk of sounding one-sided, or not sounding one-sided, I want to I bring you to a, another person that was on the list, Martin Luther. All right, German monk challenged authority in the Roman Catholic Church in the 16th century. All right. He, he was a key, the key proponent uh, of the Protestant Reformation, and, and he just decried the, the papal authority, uh, particularly that, that talks about like 
absolving one's guilt by making payments of money or, or other riches to the Catholic authorities and all of that. Uh, but he wrote his, his 95 theses, uh, and, he, and he nailed it on the door. Luther's uh, very controversial stance unsettled everything during uh, the time of, of, of Pope Leo, okay? Uh, but here's what I want you to understand. He, he was a great Christian man, a man of faith. He was a, a man of God. And, and in his day, his viewpoint was considered to be a bit liberal, all right? Quite a bit liberal, all right? And, and in his day, heretics were often burned at the stake, all right? Um, and so many people who write about uh, uh, Martin Luther talk about his bravery and his fortitude, all right? But I'm going to tell you something. Martin Luther's dead, Yes, his works live, and praise God for that. But I don't want to just pick on people who propagated something outside of the faith. I'm telling you, you don't put your faith in a man. You don't put your faith in, in, in a historical figure or an early church father. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's the only one that is resurrected from the dead. So you hold on to him. There, there are others. May, uh, Mary Baker Eddy, oh my goodness, she, Christian science, the Christian science monitor, you know about this, all right? She, she was a, a, a mystic uh, in the early 1860s. She was known for, for giving out or, or experiencing trances and, and uh, doing what they call automatic writing and all these kinds of things. Uh, and, and she had a powerful influence even to this day, all right? There are still publications that are being printed from this woman's work, all right? But I'm going to tell you something. Mary Baker Eddy is dead, period. Jesus is alive. You can go back thousands and thousands of years to Confucius, all right? A Chinese philosopher. He, he probably, many think, he originated that famous like golden rule, do not do to others what you do not want done to yourself. Remember that? Okay. He was born about 551 B.C. Uh, he had some really good things to say. He was all about family loyalty, but he was also about ancestor worship. But interestingly, he also had a political career. He was a great man. He was influential in many ways. He did a lot, and he created this, this amazing religion that many say will be relevant even a thousand years from now. And it's all over China, all right? But I'm going to tell you something. Confucius is dead. He died, and when he died, he did not come back. He is still a dead. He is still dead. Jesus is alive. Buddha is the same way, like Confucius. He was born around 500 B.C., all right? Uh, questions about Buddha. Is he man? Is he God? Can he stop the will of karma? Was he born a virgin? Uh, could he live forever? Uh, nobody seems to know how to answer all the questions, but suddenly one man came up, and he became what is eventually known as the Buddha, which means the enlightened one. And, and he lived in luxury, and he had all kinds of, of uh, stuff, if you will, until he went out one day at about age 30, and he began to see the poverty and, and, and the sickness that was around him. And so he changed his life dramatically, and he began to live on charity. All right, He, he renounced all of that, that influence, if you will. Okay, But all of that meditation and all that stuff that, that, that worked in his life, it got him nothing, really, All right, because today he is dead. He is dead, but Jesus is alive, all right? I'm telling you, every one of these influential people, they have marks about them, marks of greatness. Some of them marks of goodness, but they died, and when they died, they stayed dead. Jesus is alive, all right? 
And so I, w- I want you to understand that you can, you can point out men, you can point out women, you can point out events, you can do all kinds of things and say these were powerful moments, these are powerful people, but I'm telling you none of them will live again like Jesus lives again. You and I, we're in a series. And this series is one of freedom. By the way, Jesus was on the list, number 10 on the list. The only one that makes a difference because he's alive. What makes this Sunday like no other is because Jesus lived, he died, he rose again from the grave, and he overcame death. He is alive. And this is what you and I have to hold on. See, what makes this a morning like no other is that there's another promise that we have. There's a new kind of promise that's coming to us. You see, in that passage that Pastor Dave read, it said, you go back to Galilee. He is going before you. There you will see him. Before this morning, this morning like no other, there was often little hope for those who stood among the tombs and and mourned their dead loved ones. And while the death of Christ paid the sin debt for every person who believed or who would ever believe, the resurrection is what legitimized Christianity as a religion, as a faith, and placed it at the top of the world's religions These these few examples that I gave you are just a few of of other religious leaders or or so-called gods, if you will, uh, that have been, none of them have been raised from the dead. And so what does that mean for you and I? It means that you and I have the promise of a victorious life. It means you and I are living out of something that these others cannot give you. They cannot even offer to you. Now, wouldn't it be great to know that that you could be successful and you could be fulfilled in all all of life? The angel said, he goes before you. In other words, wherever we go and whatever we do, Christ has gone before us. This is our take. This is what, where we bring it into relevancy for you and I. This same Jesus who went before them, anticipating meeting with them, headed to, to Galilee. This same Jesus goes before you. This same Jesus knows where you're at, and he goes before you. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our frailties. He knows our failures. He knows our sorrows. And he has made a way for us. And he's promised us that he will give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we have access to that victory right now. This is a morning like no other. Not only because we've been promised a victorious life, but we've been promised that Jesus will come again. There are those who say that they have seen the Christ. I would believe that most of them are speaking figuratively. I've not ever seen Jesus, literally. But I've seen him in the sense of I've I've felt what he's like. I've felt his heart. I I understand what he's done for me. And I'm confident that many people have seen angels and many people have had epiphanies and, and all these kinds of things. But he says, one day we shall see him. Because of this resurrection, he is coming again. The Bible teaches that Christ will return for his saints in 1 Corinthians 15. This is our hope, all right? We we hold to this reality that this Christ who raised himself from the dead has the power to return again to this earth. Events have changed and shaped our lives. 
our actions, our choices, our thinking. We may in, in the future face more life-altering times than we already have. But I'm going to tell you something. Nothing can happen. Nothing can happen in your future that could or should shake you when you understand the great power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All that we are, all that we will ever be, was made possible on that day. He's alive. There's never been a morning like that. Amen? Let me speak to your heart for a moment. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, man, I've never known that Jesus. I've known about him, but I've never known him that way. I've never lived in that kind of place and that kind of freedom. I've never experienced that kind of power. I didn't even know that I could. It's all right. It's all right. There's no shame in that. There's no, there's no, there's no embarrassment in that. The beauty is you can. All right? You can. You can know that same kind of power today. These chains can be broken off of you today. You can live in that kind of freedom today. You can live in the power of the resurrection today. And that is by knowing this Jesus, this rescuer, who came to do what you could not do for yourself. You will never save yourself from your sins. You'll never be able to do it. You weren't created to do it. You weren't intended to do it. And so God has made a way. Where there was no way, he sent his son, Jesus, to come to this earth in flesh and blood. And he lived among men and women and boys and girls, and he taught them. He healed them. He delivered them. He performed miracles in their sight. He loved them, and he called them. He called them to follow him to lay down everything this life holds and to follow after him. And he promised them forgiveness of sin. He takes it away. He does what you and I could not do. If you want to know this Jesus today, we're about to come to the table. I'm going to invite you to experience communion, just an intimate communion today among us as family. And as we invite you to the table, if you're sitting there and saying, I'm estranged from this, I don't, I don't know if I, if I can, I don't, I, I'm not ready, I'm not prepared, you can be prepared. This same Jesus, all you have to do is call on his name today. Just say, I, Jesus, I want to follow you, I want to love you. I want to be saved, I want to be redeemed. And so I don't know the vocabulary, I don't know the words. You don't need to know the words just necessarily. Just, just talk to him. He knows your heart. He'll interpret the words, okay? He'll make sense of what you can't make sense of. All you got to do is come, and if you just confess him with your mouth, you'll be saved. And there you can partake with the rest of us. And afterwards, if you want prayer, there'll be opportunity for someone to pray with you. We would love to pray with you. Spend a few minutes ministering to you. Right now, we're going to come to the table. Nathan, would you come, please, and play a little music for us? I want to invite you today to experience this power of the resurrection in a very fresh and new and wonderful way, and that is by coming to the table, by coming and being a part of what God has called us to in the new covenant. 
And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we come into this relationship with Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit draws us. The, the Father gives revelation to us. He gives guidance to us, and we come. And so I'm inviting you to come today. Pastor Dave and I are going to come, and we're going to uh, present the elements of communion to you this morning. We're going to start on this side of the room, and we're just going to sweep across, all right? We're going to ask you to come, take the elements of communion, go around the back, come back to your seat. Just hold it right there and take a moment to pray and let God search your heart. When everybody's taking the elements of communion, we're going to take it together as a family this morning, and then we'll be done. We'll have a wonderful brunch after that. But I'm going to tell you something as we close here. There's not a single person who has to live in chains today. You don't have to live there. You don't have to be bound up today. It's broken off. All right. Let them slide off of you because they're broken off of you today. All right. See what God can do for you. Hold on to the promise of God today. All right. You're free. This is a, this is a Sunday like no other. You have freedom because he is alive. Amen. Prepare your hearts. We'll invite you to come. Stand with me, please. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who takes away the sin of the world. Happy are those who are invited to his supper. And we invite you now to receive the portions for communion. The body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was broken for you, preserve you, for everlasting life. Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood shed for you. Drink and be thankful. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us, but he is alive. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Know that the Restorer, Jesus Christ himself, has freed you and given the Holy Spirit to empower you to live in holiness. Give thanks to him, all you who are saints of God, for you belong to the Lord. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. If you would like to stay and join us, we will have an Easter brunch uh, shortly after the service is over with. All right? We invite you to stay. God bless you.